Welcome. Today is episode three of our summer break series. I can't believe we're already on the third one. They've gone by so quickly. And they've been such an encouragement and a blessing to me as I know they have been to you. So today we're going to be speaking with Sarah B. Anderson, and we're going to be listening to the song from Jen Bostick. The combination of these two is just powerful, and I can't wait to share what God has to share with you through them. So Sarah B. Anderson is a Christian writer and speaker with her Juris Doctorate and Masters of Divinity in Christian Apologetics. She's the founder of Fruits of Faith Ministries and author of The Best is Yet to Come, Facing the Fears of Today with God's Hope for Tomorrow. Sarah lives with her husband and five children in Austin, Texas. Jen Bostick is a soulful singer-songwriter with a hint of pop, blues, and gospel. Her emotive songwriting and powerful vocals have been touching hearts around the world. She's had a year of accolades, including having the United States Army Band cover her UK number one song, Jealous of the Angels, which was also played on Sirius XM's The Pulse and other mainstream ACs reaching that format's top 40 and the positive country and southern gospel charts top 10. Wow. Bostic has performed sold-out tours across the United States and Europe, including performances on the stages of the Grand Old Opry, the Ryman Auditorium, and Lincoln Center, as well as BBC Breakfast Television, BBC Songs of Praise, Daystar, and TBN US and UK. As an independent, Bostic was the first international artist to have her first three singles played and playlisted on BBC Radio 2. She was twice named International Touring Artist of the Year by the British Country Music Association in 2017 and 18. In 2012, Jen Bostic received five independent Country Music Association awards, including Best Songwriter, Best Musician, and Overall Winner. Her newest album, You Find a Way, created with Grammy-nominated producer and hit songwriter Lauren Christie, is set to release July 15th, and July 15th is actually going to be before you guys get to hear this. So I believe that uh, you should go and take a listen. It's really great. So let's settle in. I also want to tell you that Sarah Broyhall Anderson was a guest on the podcast, so you can go and look for her episode. I think you would really enjoy it. And I'm going to put in the show notes all of the information for both of these amazing contributors so that you can follow them and take a look at all they have to offer. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm going to turn it over now to Sarah. Hello, hello, everyone. I am excited to be here on a Cup of Gratitude podcast for their summer series. Amanda, thank you so much for inviting me to share a teaching. My name is Sarah B. Anderson. I'm the founder of Fruits of Faith Ministries. You'll find me on Facebook, mostly Instagram, and I'm also an author and a speaker. I am a Christian apologist who likes to mine the original meaning of scripture to find that gem that we can apply to our lives today, that gem of truth. So on that, I'm going to share with you what God put on my heart when Amanda, I I really prayed about it. I thought, okay, what? I wanted to wait for his inspiration. And this is what he gave me. And I I entitled it Frenemy Zoned, The Importance of Loving Our Enemies Right. Have you ever considered the origin of a word? this word that's commonly used in our culture, frenemy. The first time 
the term frenemy really resonated with me was when I was at a training event for a woman's retreat. The trainer was discussing the challenges we would face as we collaborated with our frenemies at the event. And it really caught me off guard. I thought, frenemies at this event? Aren't we all friends here? And then honestly, if I really wanted to look around and knowing so many women that likely there are people here who didn't like each other, likely people who didn't like me, you know? So I like, okay, that's what they want to call it. And it felt like she was trying to soften the word enemy by using frenemy. So a frenemy, I realized, is someone you don't like or, or who doesn't like you, but you pretend to like each other. According to the Oxford Dictionary, frenemy means, quote, a person with whom one is friendly despite a fundamental dislike or rivalry. I did some research and found an article by The Cut entitled Nine Ways to Spot a Frenemy. According to them, I just chose four of the nine. They aren't happy about your achievements. They only want to talk about themselves. They're passive aggressive and they joke in hurtful ways. We have all had this experience in our lives. I know that. I know I have. I know you have. And so what we're going to discuss in my short teaching here is what the Bible says about this, how we're supposed to approach it, and maybe some some things that we probably don't want to hear, but we need to hear those tough truths, right? So despite the fact that frenemies, according to these definitions and articles, sound kind of sinister, there probably are some instances where being friendly to someone despite your dislike for them is a good thing. For one, it may help keep the peace in a certain specific situation or event. The Bible teaches us in Romans twelve eighteen that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if we have to fake it till we make it for peace sake, then we will for the glory of God. Another way that being friendly to an enemy works is by keeping hope alive. That maybe the circumstances will change and the relationship will turn around. Maybe that friendly gesture or not totally throwing them in the bucket of enemy will soften hearts on both sides, leading to a future reconciliation. And that would be a blessing. And finally, labeling someone a frenemy may work in a situation where there's a personality disorder that requires a bit of an arm's length. Those frenemies may love bomb you to draw you in to a facade of friendship only to dig for personal information and then use it against you. You probably know what I'm talking about. And of course, people can do that without having a personality disorder, but there are patterns to this, which I won't get into that, you know, once you're made aware of, you do need to keep an arm's length. You don't want anyone sabotaging your reputation based on, you know, thinking that you trusted them. To that end, I don't actually have a problem with the term frenemy per se. I definitely do not have a problem with keeping the peace if that's what the idea of frenemy is all about. But as with anything, it depends on one's motive. And we'd like to think, of course, that we're the ones feigning the kindness to our frenemies because we look at our best intentions while we see others' worst actions. But could it be, and this is an important question we need to ask, that our facade of friendship is actually facilitating and frenemy slash enemy behavior, that actually that pretending is doing harm? Could we be the one in the wrong? So let's dive into what the Bible says about friends and enemies. It turns out the term frenemy is not used in the Bible. Of course you knew that, right? There are examples that we would think today would constitute, like are categorized, be categorized as a frenemy. 
frenemy is a new term that caters to evolving cultural norms. The question is, does it get us closer to following God or further away? And that, of course, depends. As I said, the Bible does not use the term frenemy. It does, however, use the word friend. It also uses the word enemy. The word friend is used roughly 49 times, and the word enemy, surprisingly, is used twice as many times, 107 times. And the various forms of these words are used even more. So how does the Bible teach us to treat our friends and our enemies? It turns out not much differently. We are taught to treat our friends and our enemies the same. The Bible teaches a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's from Proverbs 17, 17. The Bible also teaches, but love you, your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great. That was Luke 6, 35. And in Matthew 5, 44, Jesus commands us to love our enemies and even pray for those who persecute us. So love is used for both enemies and friends. There must be a difference though. We're supposed to love our enemies and our friends, even though we know that person that we cannot possibly love. Well, we look to Jesus for an example, but we think Jesus is God. Of course he can love his enemies because he has a supernatural ability to do that. At least that's what we say, right? I mean, we know he does, but if we can't love like Jesus loves, then do we settle for pretending to love them? In other words, instead of trying to do what Jesus commands us to do, should we just recategorize them as frenemies? Because frenemies, they don't seem to be held to the same standard. We don't actually have to love them. We just have to pretend to love frenemies. So what I'm trying to say is this. The word frenemy, the idea of frenemy, the actions surrounding a frenemy, the behavior and response to a frenemy becomes a problem when we use the social normative behavior to disguise unforgiveness. Do you hear what I'm saying there? The importance of forgiveness cannot be understated. And we Christians are held to a higher standard. But as humans, we will find any excuse to justify unforgiveness of someone that we're maybe has hurt us or that we're jealous of. And that is when frenemy becomes a stumbling block to obeying God's command to love our enemies. Mark eleven twenty five tells us, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Matthew six fifteen confirms this. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The risk of calling someone a frenemy and treating them as such is becoming the very frenemy that we are trying to avoid. It's the pot calling the kettle black. When we pretend to like someone, they get their hopes up and then their expectations are dashed when they're excluded or they're slandered by us or when people see inconsistent behavior, they get the memo, right? They know. And so depending on who has the power in the situation, it really can be used as a tool 
to hurt others. And then we're the enemy. Then we're the frenemy, right? But it's hard for us to see that. By doing the frenemy thing, we risk trading the biblical command to love those who hate us for the charade of loving. And Jesus doesn't command us to pretend to love. He commands us to love like he loves. If we can get by temporarily by pretending, we don't have to step out and do something uncomfortable. And when I say uncomfortable, I mean looking in the mirror and evaluating our own heart and actions toward the person that we don't like. It's easy for us to point a finger and say, we don't like you because of something you've done to us. And that just might be a cover-up for our own dislike of them. Maybe our jealousy, maybe our rivalry, as the definition said. Maybe they have something that we want. Maybe there's so many what ifs. Every situation is different, but the important is to, and the most uncomfortable thing we can do, but the most important thing we can do is to look in the mirror because we become the frenemy if we're perpetrating unkindness toward a person and calling ourselves a victim. We are the frenemy if we pretend to like someone and then lie about them behind their backs. We are the frenemy if we exhibit passive aggressive behavior instead of having a direct conversation. We are the frenemy if we get pleasure out of another person's emotional pain that we orchestrated by pretending to like them and then cutting them out of the circle. At its best, Pretending to like someone allows us to look the other way. At its worst, feigning friendship empowers politeness to one's face and nastiness behind one's back. That's called being a hypocrite. On the other side of the coin, you're on the receiving end of these unloving behaviors. Right? So let's, someone's doing that to you. We want to look in the mirror and make sure we're not doing this to someone else. But now On the other side of the coin, we're the ones who are receiving this. And maybe it's both and, right? We're doing it to someone in one relationship and someone's doing it to us in another relationship. So for those of you who have felt the shame of having an enemy, and especially for Christians, I think a lot of times we want to use the word frenemy to soften, like that trainer was doing at that women's event, to soften the idea of of us having an enemy because as Christians... We feel like it's not okay. It's, it just doesn't reflect well on us to have anyone not like us, right? We think it's embarrassing. And if we're a good Christian, we're not going to have enemies. But that's simply not true. Most of the heroes of faith in the Bible had enemies. David had many enemies, yet he was a man after God's own heart. Jesus had enemies, yet God was clearly well pleased with him. Moses, Paul, John the Baptist, Elijah all had enemies who slandered, sabotaged, and even tried to murder them. Yet God used them in big ways. So let's talk about a couple things, three things actually, that can help us deal with having a frenemy slash enemy in our lives to help us sort it out and come to peace with it so that we can love like Jesus says to love. One, take an honest look, and we've talked about this at ourselves. No one wants the consequence of admitting they were mean or out of line. Because we have fear that then all that we've dished out will come back onto us. But perfect love casts out fear. It is confession and repentance that leads to peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God and others. Romans 14, 12 tells us, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Matthew 12, 36 through 37 tells us, I tell you. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. That should concern us greatly because of a lot, a lot of idle words are spoken about our frenemies. God is recording every single one. We can't use God's grace as an excuse to commit the sin. So number two, enemies slash frenemies do happen, but our reputation should be established on how we respond. We don't have to own other people's actions, attitudes, or thoughts about us. We should look in the mirror, right? We should repent when necessary. We should ask forgiveness when necessary. But we cannot change someone else. We don't know where their motive lies. All we can do is control our response to them. And what does that mean? Jesus commanded, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That means you don't slander back. You don't hate in your heart back. You don't plot to slander and destroy them. We can pray, we can help, we can look for the good in them, but just keep our mouth shut and be kind. I think the term frenemy comes from that feigning of kindness while pulling the rug out from underneath them behind their back. Love is being kind to their face and doing none of the sort behind their back. Even if you don't have a close relationship with them, you don't prevent them from having relationships with others. So three, motive matters. We touched on this too. The scripture in Luke that tells us to love our enemies adds a little something extra. It says without hoping for anything in return. When we love our enemies, our motive for doing doing so matters. We're to wash our motives in the word of God to make sure our hearts reflect the same end goal as Jesus. And what is that goal? To please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is our motive, to please God. 2 Corinthians 5.9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. At all times, all of our words and all of our actions, we have to remember we're doing this to please God. We do much more when we love our frenemies, truly, without feigning it, without labeling them a frenemy so that we can get away with not loving them, right? We do much more for God when we do that than we do for our enemy. And we're out of fear. We're worried that they'll get the upper hand and the power and then turn it around against us like we've done to them. But if we're pleasing God, he works all things out to the good. And that's ultimately what we want. Truly loving our enemies and not pretending to love them is our way of giving a gift to God. When we love our enemies, It's directed toward God. True friendship in our life, and we hopefully have all experienced the gift of a true friend, comes from God. It's a gift from God. All good things come from God. All good gifts come from God, says in James. David's life exemplified this. He had a friend of me, Saul, his father-in-law. Saul initially pretended to love David until his jealousy got too much for him, and he actively sought to kill him. David, however, exhibited godly behavior when he chose to spare Saul's life, even though he had the chance to kill him. David didn't pretend that they were friends and wake him up for a hug, but he wisely cut off a part of Saul's robe to show Saul later how close David was to taking his life, yet David spared him. David was loving his enemy in that that instance. David had a true friend too, a gift from God, and that is Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan looked out for David and tried to warn him, tried to spare his life. They truly loved one another. 
he considered David's interests above his own. And that helped balance the, I guess, just the pain of having an enemy like Saul. Friendship love goes without saying, it's there. When we love our enemies, however, there's no love probably inherently there for our enemy. What we're doing is we're loving God because we do have a love for God. And so out of our love for God, we love our enemies. And then when God gives us a true friend, we can feel that love from God pouring into us through that relationship, that friendship relationship. But we don't want to cut our frenemies short or our enemies short and not love them the way God says to love them. In other words, love God by loving them because they might become a friend someday. That's our ultimate goal, right? Because that would please God. That is making peace with others when we can really turn an enemy around and make it a friendship. So the bottom line is we love our enemies as a gift to God, and he gives us true friends as a gift to us. The Bible doesn't use the term frenemy because God doesn't want us to fall into the cracks of comfort and avoid the hard commands to look at our own actions and our own motives and love anyway. So thank you so much for this time together today. I hope that that lesson blessed you and and helps you, maybe gives you some questions and some thoughts to ponder and to pray about. So thank you so much, Amanda, again, and best to you and prayers for all. Bye-bye. to the fatherless Defender to the weak Freedom for the prisoner A friend when I'm in need Feel the earth shake, see the sky break, feel the rain Feel like something in my heart's about to change all this guilt and all this shame I give it Leave it at the cross
Leave it at the cross.